turn, if you would, with me to John chapter 9, verse 4. I had intended to preach something um, different as of yesterday, and um, this morning early, the Lord changed my thought, changed my direction, and so we'll go this way today and see what happens. I always am interested to see what happens. Um, my arm is soaking wet. I like getting wet with folks when I baptize, but the way we're doing it now, it's quicker for me to um, wear those bib overalls. Um, but I need to wear a short sleeve shirt because I roll up my sleeve and then get it wet and my whole sleeve's wet. But I don't mind at all. I would do that all day long. Uh, so, but what a privilege. I wish we could use the baptistry every week. Uh, wouldn't that be great? That's kind of some things that I want to talk about today. Um, John chapter 9, verse 4 says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. For those of you who have red letter addictions, you'll see that that's Jesus doing the speaking here. That he is stating the fact to the disciples and to the people that are around him as he is just healing a blind man, and no doubt there are people that are eh, questioning him and saying things, and he says, look, why even questioning this? Because I came to do the works of him that sent me. I'm here to do these kinds of things. I'm here to heal people. I'm here to raise the dead. I'm here to seek out those individuals who are lost and save them. I'm here to accomplish those type of things. Now, if you would go with me over to John chapter 6, verse 28. John chapter 6, verse 28. Jesus is speaking to them, feeding the 5,000. They're amazed at the work that he's doing and um, amazed at the miracle that just take place. And they respond to him in verse 28, Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus had stated after this particular moment that he had come to do the works of God, but then as they saw him doing things leading up to this 
and they are still amazed at the things that God himself could do through Jesus Christ because him being God in the flesh, that there was nothing impossible for him, there was nothing too complicated for him, that they are amazed at the things that he's doing, and then they ask him, well, what can we do that we could do the works of God? And so my question to you is, when will we do the works of God in our life? When have we done those things in our life? Now, I preached messages before on the when will God do his greatest work in your life. And, and to me, that was when you were saved. In fact, if you'll read verse 29 in chapter 6, Jesus answered, them, answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. The work of God that Jesus was saying to these people is, Believe me. Believe me because God sent me to talk to you. God sent me to teach you. God sent me to deliver you. Believe me. Believe on him that was sent. Believe the individual that is sent to you. This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he hath sent. Believe on Jesus Christ is the greatest work that you and I could ever do. Believing the gospel message is the greatest work that could ever be accomplished in our lives. Believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, rose from the grave, and is in heaven today, and receiving that is the greatest work that we could ever accomplish in our lives, by faith receiving that. The greatest thing... I want to tell you something this morning. Getting saved was no little thing in my life. Believing on Jesus Christ was no small venture in my life. Getting uh, saved was not, not anything to look lightly at. In fact, I've told you before and I'll tell you again, I've never got over getting saved because it did something in my life. It was something that nothing else mattered in my life any longer. It was the most important thing that ever took place in my life. It was life-changing. Glory to God. What God did in my life was amazing beyond belief and beyond description, beyond explanation to what he did in my life, and the same is with you. Sometimes when you're witnessing to people and you try and tell them what Jesus did for you and what Jesus has done in your life and what he's doing for you, it's almost unexplainable at times. It's like that woman said to her son one day when she was looking over into heaven right before she died and her, and her son said, Mama, what do you see? And she said, oh, son, you're just going to have to see it for yourself. I can't explain it. And that's the way salvation is. It's difficult to explain. You've got to experience it for yourself. The change that comes in an individual's life of what God can take out of a gutter and set him on a throne, what God can do in an individual's life to take him out of 
uh, someplace in poverty and make him a child of God. The greatest work that we can do in our lives is receive Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. I don't know if you've got the message yet or not, but I'm tickled to death. I'm saved. I'm glad I'm a Christian. I'm glad that I'm saved. I'm not perfect. And by, by a long shot, I'm not perfect. And I'm to God and there ought to be some different things in my life and there ought to be some positive things in my life but nonetheless I'm saved but when will we be able to accomplish the work of God in our lives when will we do the works of God in our lives we have a mandate from God in Matthew chapter 28 verse 19 Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is the mandate from God that we do the work of God, that we accomplish this work. It's not political. It's not supposed to be so divisive that that we create hatred and draw party lines. Now, people are going to hate us if we stand for truth in the gospel. People are going to dislike us if we tell them the truth. People are not going to appreciate what we do say, but I have enough faith in the power of God and in the gospel of God to know that it's the power of God unto salvation that and that we should understand that there's still power in his word, there's still power in the preaching of his word, there's still power in the sharing of his word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and that we need to understand that we need to give the word of God, not our opinions, not our convictions, not our ideas about it, but the word of God. Amen. To give the word of God. Now my opinion is for some of you that you all need to get a lot better better shape than you are right now. Amen. That's my opinion. And your opinion of me as preacher, you need to get better too. Yeah, thank you. Somebody wave a hanky. Yeah. Our opinions aren't worth much. It's like noses. Everybody's got one. Some bigger than others. Some stick theirs in places they should not be. Ooh, I better stop and get back to the word. That was my opinion. But our opinions don't amount to much. It's the word of God that's able to save the lost. It's the word of God that's able to do a miracle in people's lives. It's the word of God. I could tell you story after story about how unbelievers would begin to read the word of God and God would do something in their hearts. The spirit of God would take the word of God and reveal God to them. Glory to God. I'm about to feel something now to know that God's able to do it in our lives through his word. When will we get this idea and understand this mandate that we have? When will we 
grasp hold of this and get a hold of it in such a way that the world needs Jesus Christ. And I don't know if you've listened to the news or read the newspapers or or listen to the radio or whatever else, but it's getting pitiful out there. I mean, it's almost where uh, it, well, I, that's my opinion. It's, it's getting terrible. It's getting ungodly. It, it's, it, the, the Christian church today is in the minority and we're living in an ungodly world and there's more and more and more that's happening uh, to take away our Christian privileges and we need to understand the mandate that we have though all hell would come against us, though all of the demons of hell would come against us, we still have a mandate to preach and teach the word of God and share the word of God. When will we? Understand, I've got three things, if you want to write them down. I believe that we need in our lives right now, we need to be hungry. We need to be hungry, first of all, for God. We need to hunger for God. Now, I didn't eat breakfast on Thanksgiving morning. Because I knew what was being cooked in the oven. I got up. Now, I hate to I, I tell you all this. I made two pumpkin pies, a caramel pie, two loaves of homemade bread. I, I made pecan caramel um, bars. I guess you call them that. I made two batches of brownies, one with walnuts and one without walnuts. I've lost count. I was cooking up a storm because I was hungry. I mean, I was opening up cans and, and bottles and bags and boxes and just cooking them. And, and just, did I, did I mention I made a pecan or a, uh, a caramel pie, did I? Well, I'll tell you again, I made a caramel pie. And there was turkey in the oven, and there was ham in the oven, and there were green beans and corn and mashed potatoes and gravy, and I mean, I could go on and on. And I didn't eat breakfast, and I was I was hungry for dinner, and and they and a couple of my kids were late. I disowned them and went ahead and ate anyway. Yeah. I was hungry. I wanted to eat. And I ate. And I rested a little while. And I ate again. And I rested a little while longer. And before I went to bed, I ate again. And then I had to say, God, forgive me for eating like this today. But it only happens once a year. And I was thinking as I was musing and thinking about God and His goodness and His grace. And I was thinking about the other things that would take place on that day. 
And I thought if we would only get hungry for God the way we get hungry to eat. If we would hunger in our lives for God the way we get hungry to eat. If we would hunger for God in the morning and at noon and at night. If we'd hunger for God that God would be so much a part of our lives and so so full in our lives and would do so much that we we first of all would hunger for him that we would have time with him before we go to breakfast or we'd have time with him before we go to lunch or we'd have time with him before we go to supper or we'd have time with him before we eat that late night bowl of cereal or we'd have time with him before anything else when we would hunger for God in our lives that I want God in my life more than I want natural food. I want God in my life more than I want anything else I hunger for his fellowship. I hunger for his communication. I hunger for his, uh, the, his love and grace and mercy in my life. I hunger for that. I'm as the psalmist would say, as the deer would uh, hunger or thirst for the brook or the fresh water, and that he would run to that water. Oh, that we would hunger for God, and until we get that kind of hunger in our life, I don't believe God's going to be able to do a work in our lives. I don't believe we're going to be able to do a work in our life for God until we get hungry for Him. Until we get to a place in our lives where He's more important than anything else. I think also we need to get hungry for growth in our lives. That we as Christians should grow every day or every week or every month or every year. I've been here three years now. I hope I have grown as a Christian and as a preacher and as a pastor. I hope I've gotten better as a pastor, more into God's Word and understand His Word better. I hope I've grown in my life and that, that hunger comes out as we dig into God's Word and mine God's Word like we would a, a, a gold mine somewhere or a coal mine somewhere that we get out every little last nugget that we could get out of it and that that hunger would would satisfy us at sometimes that we would find that hunger for growth in our lives that that I want to grow in my life I want to be a better Christian I want to be a better pastor I want to be a better preacher I want to be a better husband I want to be a better father I want to be a better friend I want to be better in all aspects of my life and especially in my spiritual life. I want to do better. I want to be better. I want to be a better person. I want growth in my life. I don't believe God can do a work in my life until I grow. Until I've grown to a place to where, and I see it in my life as I look back over my ministry, and I know it's hard to believe now, but when I first started out, I was dumber than I am now. I, I mean, when I, when I first started, I, there was, I had to ask my first church when I left, I said, church, forgive me because of the way I failed you all and the mistakes that I made and, and the things that I did and what some of the things that I said 
they were coming out of my youth and my ignorance. And I grew in that church. I grew as a preacher. I grew as a, a pastor. I grew uh, as a family even. We, we grew. And I, I experienced things in that first church that prepared me for my next church. And then I experienced things in that next church that prepared me for the next one and so on. And, and now here, you all are my last church. I hope. Some of you looking like, no. No, what time is it? Uh, no, you're, you're my, my last one, I hope. And, and, and this could be taken bad or good, but of all my years of ministry has prepared me for you. All of my years from, from ministry has come to this place to where I can sit back and say, I've arrived. Yeah, don't, don't look too little for yourself. I have. I've arrived. I've had good people in every church I've ever been in. But you're all good people. Even though you are from Virginia, you're good people. You're good people. You can't help it where you were born. Yeah, you can't help it. But, and I tell people all the time, if you weren't born in West Virginia, you have to be born again. You get it? Some of you? Yeah. When we're hungry for growth in our lives, God can do something with us. When we're hungry. My mentor, Tom Lewis, told me years ago when I was debating and God was dealing with me about my call to the ministry. And I was, I was serving in the church. I was in the youth program. I, I taught in junior church. My wife and I worked in junior church. We, we worked in the bus ministry. Uh, we had a number of buses back then in our church. Uh, we bought a Volkswagen bus, which I wish I had that back. Because that thing, the one we had, is worth about $60,000 today. Not that I want the money. I'd just like to have the bus back. Money wouldn't hurt nothing, would it? But, um, but we, bought a tr we bought a 72 model Volkswagen bus. 21 window passenger bus. Um, the guy wanted $2,500 for it. We gave him 2000 because I told him we was going to bring kids to church in it. So he said, I'd never borrowed money in my life. Jenny and I had never borrowed money in our life. And we didn't have $2,000 to our name. We had a couple hundred dollars. And I went to the bank. No, Harold Jackson at Milton Bank. And I said, Harold, would you loan uh, Jenny and I $2,000 to buy a Volkswagen bus? He said, what are you going to do with it? I said, we're going to take kids to church in it. And he said, well, if that's what you're going to do with it, I'll, I'll give you the money. And shook my hand, 
and went in, wrote me out a check for $2,000. I went down, bought the bus, and that's all. That's the way they did things back then. And we paid for that. The first, it's a seven passenger Volkswagen bus. But I'd been visiting up that hollow, and there were kids up that hollow, and moms and dads up that hollow that didn't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And Jenny and I would weep over them, and we would pray over them and say, God, if you'll give us away, we'll go get them. And so the first Sunday we had that 72 model, seven passenger Volkswagen bus. We visited on Saturday, went up that hollow and picked up 21 kids in that Volkswagen bus. Any of you know anything about a Volkswagen bus, you know on the back of it, there's a lid, you can lift it up, it's over top of the motor. I had them crammed in there on top of each other. When I opened that up, them boys just rolled out of there on the ground. 21, five of them were saved that morning. You know what that did to Jenny and I? We went further and got more. Because we were hungry. We were hungry. God was doing a work. God was doing something real. And He was doing it in our lives. He was giving us a burden. He was giving us direction. He was making us grow. We grew in times like that. We grew together. It 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 brought uh, a great foundation to our marriage and to our relationship and it brought a great foundation to our relationship with God that we were hungry for growth in our lives and we were hungry for growth in the churches. He says to go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled, that God was doing a work, that we were hungry and that we wanted to see our church grow. We wanted to see things happen. We wanted to see people saved. There's nothing like seeing people saved. Glory to God. I'd rather lead somebody to Jesus than eat Thanksgiving dinner. I'd rather see somebody come fall out to God. I'd rather see somebody come by faith to Jesus Christ and receive Him and their lives are changed forever and ever and ever. This little girl, Miranda, this morning, guess what? She isn't, never will, no way, no how, go to hell any longer because she has received Jesus Christ as her personal Savior and baptized and going to heaven one day. She's changed for all eternity. Glory to God. Somebody better wave a hanky to know that when we're saved, we're going to heaven. It changes somebody forever and ever and ever. Oh, that we get hungry for people to be saved, for people to be changed, for people to no longer die and go to hell, but go to heaven one day. Mmm, to get hungry over that. Why does it make you want to work with the youth week in and week out? Why does it make you want to come and preach week in and week out? Why? What makes you want to come to church and be faithful to God week in and week out? Because we want to see somebody saved. 
We want to see somebody come to Jesus Christ. Why do we pray all week long and visit and, and tell people about Jesus? Why every, I, I love going to McDonald's because they have new people there every week at McDonald's. I've, I can estimate that I have witnessed to just about every young person in Clintwood because all of them have worked at McDonald's. And it's week after week, there's a new face every day, every week at McDonald's. And I tell every one of them about Jesus at McDonald's. And when they see me coming, they say, here comes that preacher. And I think they send the newest person to the window. Amen. Yeah. Fresh meat. I like to tell new people about Jesus. Up in front of Food City, the guys that hang out in front of Food City, when they see me coming, they run to Family Dollar. If nobody else will stand still and you go by and see me talking to a light post, I'm getting that rascal saved if it's the last thing I do. I'm telling you, if they'll listen, I want them to hear. I want them to, I want them to hear about my Jesus who changed my life. I like seeing people saved. When we're holy. Colossians 1, 21, 22. Be ye holy for I am holy. When we're holy. When, we're, when we've got our lives in order. When we're cleaning up our lives. When we're doing something that's different from what other people do. When we hate what's evil and love what's good in our lives. That's not normal. That's not natural. The world, they they love what's evil. In fact, anymore the evil is what's good now and they they fight against the person who's standing up for good because they want to celebrate the evil. But when we're humble as well. When God and God alone Gets all of the glory. He's worthy to be praised. He is exalted. It's all about 
him, not us. It's all for him, not us. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. When we humble ourselves before God, He will exalt us. When will we do a work for God? in our lives when we're hungry when we're holy when we're humble stand with me please his heads are bowed eyes are closed will you let God do a work in your life. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God wants to use you. God wants to use you. When will God do a work in your life? Will you come to him? Talk to him. Pray to him. Commit yourself to him. Whatever it is you need to do today, will you do it? And allow God to do what only he's able and capable of doing in your life. Father, I pray for these folks. I pray in Jesus' name that they'll come and respond by faith to allow you to do a work. By faith, they'll receive you. By faith, they'll receive Christ, which is the work of God. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And some have already come.